0: You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show, we talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart.
1: Hey, get your popcorn ready.
0: NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn,
2: your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to take you around the league with Peter King from the MMQB and Andy Benoit from Sports
1: Illustrated. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with former Eagles linebacker Seth Joyner. Seth,
2: thanks so much for taking the time. How are you today?
3: What's happening, fellas? What's going on? Everything's good, man.
1: Glad glad to have you on the show, Seth. The Eagles are finally back in the the championship again, but with a backup on their team and obviously led by this defense with Fletcher Cox. Uh, Give me your take on what you see uh, when it comes down to the strength of this team and what is it going to take to beat this New England Patriots team?
3: Well, you know, going into the NFC Championship, I felt like, you know, the strength of the team, you know, in my opinion, all season long, it it could go either way. You know, I don't think that the defense is any stronger than the offense. But going into the, uh, after Carson Wentz got hurt and going into the NFC Playoffs, the NFC Championship game, rather, I felt like, you know, we need to run the football, you know, manage the clock, you know, play a nice safe game. You know, for call a nice safe game for Nick Foles and let the defense. You know, pretty much try to dominate the game, go one on one against this Minnesota defense. That being said, and I'm, my goodness, you know, I expect for him to win. I didn't expect for you know a thirty-eight to seven outcome. Um, and things have kind of changed from the standpoint that you know Doug Peterson, Frank Reich, and John D. Filippo really figured out how to. You know, fi- they figured out the right. Style of play calling and the right plays that fits Nick Foles' skill sets, and with that being the case, um, it just you know puts this team in a much much stronger position to be able to challenge a team like New England.
2: Seth Joyner is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Seth, you won a Super Bowl, capping your career in Denver. How important do you think Super Bowl experience is? The Eagles don't have many players who've competed on this kind of stage.
3: Well. You know, I think at the end of the day, it's football. I think, you know, the experience piece of it comes from, um, you know, how you prepare leading up, you know, how you approach the game. Um, you know, once the once the whistle blows and, you know, the, the national anthem is sung and the fighter jets fly over and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's really just football. You know, once you get hit in the mouth, you know, now you get down to the business of football. It's what you've been doing all year long. Now, as the game progresses, um, from a strategic and a coaching perspective, there are some things that you know that experience will offer. Um, but, the, but as far as the game is concerned, I mean, once the game gets started, you know what what is there to experience. Every one of those guys on the field, on both sides of the field, have been doing this ever since they were nine, ten years old.
1: Seth, when you when you look at how. Tom Brady actually plays the game and you being on the defensive side of the football you, you know when you allow a quarterback to sit in the pocket and be comfortable especially on a stage like this if you don't apply the pressure on him quick you can be behind by 10 points and never can recover uh, what do you think it's going to take to apply that pressure on him because it seems like every time someone does especially Jacksonville it mean, he still find ways to get it done and end up winning games
3: well I think that, you know, there's two pieces and I think that, you know, this football team, this Philadelphia Eagles football team more than any other team in the league, when you talk about special teams defense and offense in all three phases, I think that this team is best suited to beat a Tom Brady led team. Um uh, and, and people will ask why. You know, from a defensive perspective they can rush four and get pressure. That gives you seven guys to drop into coverage. They run a multiple of coverages, everything from man to zone to zone blitzes. They do a lot of different things. And to be honest with you, you're not gonna you're not gonna fool Tom Brady. You know, I think one of the most crucial things is, you know, the, the New England Patriot offense is pretty much a timing offense. Tom doesn't want to stand in the pocket with the ball. He doesn't want down the field routes. What he really wants to do is employ a short passing game, three yards here, five yards here, four yards there, first down, three yards here, five yards here, four yards here, first down. And he just wants to move down the field. That's the way they want to, the, the, the way that they want to operate their offense. They want to dominate the ball and they wanna get you in a position where you from where you're behind and then they force your hand to do some things, you know, that's uncharacteristic of you defensively. Make you bring some blitzes that he can get a pre-snap read on. Now they take their shot down the seam, one on one with Gronk, or you know, a, a down the field with um, um, Brandon Cooks, or or um, I forget the 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 other kid, the other kid's name, number fifteen. Um, Chris Hogan. That's, yes that's 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 where they that's where they really hurt you. But you know, Philadelphia's got to you know we've got to get up on those guys and we got to be. Um, physical with them. You know, you've got to throw off the timing. When you play a, against a timing-based offense, you know, a quarterback has a progression. And if a guy's supposed to run a 10-yard hook and he's not there 10 yards where he's supposed to be there, then that quarterback's got to move on to the next guy in the progression because the time is not there that allows him to wait for that guy to get to 10 yards when he's there, when he's at his progression. He just can't wait. You know, and with the kind of pressure that the Philadelphia Eagles front four can apply if we can get up and inhibit, you know, some some routes. If we can throw off the timing of some guys that are on the line of scrimmage, um, th- then they've got a chance. They got a shot at slowing this offense down. But if they can apply pressure and move Tom off his spot, make him make him uncomfortable in the pocket. Listen, when the Giants beat him twice, and when um, the Denver Broncos before heading in the Super Bowl Fifty, you know, took him apart in Denver. It was the same it was the same type of deal, you know. They brought pressure, they made him uncomfortable. Denver actually made him look pretty pedestrian. They made him look really average in that game. But that's what pressure does. It's, it's every quarterback's kryptonite. And Tom is no different, but if you let him sit back there, listen. He said, "I I you know, why would I quit now? You know, I got all the answers to the test. You're 100% correct. You're not going to you're not going to fool him." He knows where all the holes and all the weaknesses are in the um, in zone coverages. You can't disguise anything. And against man coverage, if you give him a pre-snap read, he knows where his mismatches are, and he's going to attack it.
2: Yeah, and you said for the Super Bowl with Seth Joyner. Seth, even though Nick Foles was spectacular Sunday in the NFC Championship game, how much of an advantage do you think the Eagles have with their running backs? Jay Ajayi, LeGarrette Blunt, the former Patriot, trying to keep Tom Brady off the field and working clock.
3: Well, to me, that's, that, that's crucial. Um, that is crucial because you've got you know, you, you, you to employ the run game. The Eagles have to dominate the time of possession. And one of the most crucial things, in my opinion, is minimizing the amount of possession. On average, you know, most offenses in the NFL, they're averaging somewhere around 10 to, to 12 possessions per game. The Eagles over the last two weeks, the divisional game and the NFC Championship, both teams got right around got nine possessions per game. Now you think about you know when you're when you're an offense, you know you want as many possessions as you can get, but from a defensive perspective, we don't want to give Tom Brady that many possessions. How do we make that happen? We got to play some good defense. You know, we got to get them to kick some field goals. We got to give them the punt a little bit. We got to, you know, get some three and outs. But on the defensive, on the offensive side of the ball, we have to run the ball. We got to run the ball, and we got to move the chains. We got to eat clock. You know, even in the last the last um, two playoff games for the Eagles, you know, they basically averaged um, I want to say three to four double digit possessions where they just ate major clock. That's one of the reasons why the possessions was down to nine rather than, you know, the league average of, you know, 11 to 12. And that's what they're going to have to do. We're going to have to have a nice run of, you know, running plays, a, a good mix, good mixture of screens. I mean, th- this offense is, is well put together to give the Patriots defense all they can handle because what Bill Belichick normally does is, He's going to take away your best option. He's going to make you win with what you don't want to win with. Well, you can take away Zach Ertz. Look at all the weapons that this offense has. It doesn't have a premier wide receiver or a premier running back. They got playmakers all over the place and all season long. One guy has been the star one week. Another guy has been the star another week. Another so you can take away Zach Ertz. What are you going to do, you know, with Torrey Smith, and what are you going to do with Alshon Jeffries? You can take away Alshon Jeffries. What are you going to be able to do with Nelson Aguilar and 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 Trey Burton? You know, you can take away J.H.I., but you're probably not going to take away both J.H.I., Corey, uh, Corey Clement, and and Legarrette Brunt. See, they got playmakers all the way across the board. They're, they're not a superstar-centric offense, so that's going to make that's going to give. That's going to give the Patriots, you know, pure hell because you don't have any one guy to stop.
2: Seth, we appreciate the information. Enjoy what you're doing on FS1. Thanks for coming on the show. We hope to see you in person next week in Minnesota.
3: My pleasure. Anytime,
0: my friends. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
2: Next on NFL, no huddle the podcast. Let's focus on today's top stories with Peter King from the MMQB.
0: Now it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn.
2: Peter, I must confess, I was a big wrestling fan when I was 13 years old in 1982. Thankfully, I grew up, but I respect Vince McMahon as a businessman, even if he's been skilled at marketing to the lowest common denominator. Still, if the NFL had a ratings challenge this year, What do you think the audience could be for minor league football if the XFL comes back in two years?
4: Well, you know, we've always, every few years, somebody comes up with an idea for spring football. And uh, I I remember this vividly. Okay, this, uh, when this happened, whatever it was, 17 years ago or however many years ago it was, the reason that I had a little bit of faith that it could work is the two people who were at the press conference in Las Vegas the day before the first game uh, when New York, New Jersey played, uh, played the Las Vegas Outlaws. Dick Ebersole, the Pooh Bah of NBC Sports, and Vince McMahon, who is, uh, at the time was a bigger-than-life figure in the world of professional wrestling. So they were there, and and the one thing I walked away from from that weekend was that these guys, this is going to give it a legitimate chance. You've got a network putting it on in a dead primetime period, you know, March, April, uh, on Saturday night. And uh, the first game, I think, was in February, but basically it was like February, March, April – and 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 Vince McMahon, uh, you know, a real popular showman type guy. And I thought they had so many good ideas. You can interview players on the field. You can talk to them on the sidelines. You can have cameras in the huddle. It was a cool, cool idea. And that first weekend, I will never forget it. I covered the game in Las Vegas, the first game ever. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget this. I was shocked. I landed back in... I lived in New Jersey at the time and I landed back late on Sunday after covering the game on Saturday night and I was told man we're putting this on the cover. Wow. I said, "Oh my god. You're putting the XFL game on the cover? But they got a good rating. Bigger rating the postseason fans. baseball Peter that year." Yeah, exactly, exactly. So so there so anyway, I mean, I guess the way I look at this now, Brian really it, this you know, if if somebody just says, listen, we're going to be realistic with our expectations and you know what, we're willing to lose 50 million a year. Okay, we're willing to throw good money at this. And 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 we are we are committing to, to do this for four years, no matter what happens the first three years. Because the only way that you've got a chance, of course there are going to be skeptics right away. Everybody's going to think, oh, this will never work. Of course they're going to think it's not going to work. But, and I'm not saying it will work, but the one thing I would say is, you know, the only way that this has a chance is if you're willing to go through the tough times. And in the past, all these leagues, going back to Donald Trump, all of these leagues, they've they've never been willing to stay in the spring and go through the tough times.
1: So how do you market it now considering, what's the best way? Let's just say that considering that the numbers are down with the National Football League in comparison to last year and the year before, and now you bring in this XFL with, with this, welcome to the XFL mentality like the WWE in wrestling.
4: The only thing I can say, Cordell, is that you have to just accept the fact, you have to admit what you are. And what you are is a minor league, okay? So I, w- w- when I go around uh, on my NFL training camp tour, I go to all these cities all over the United States. And the one thing that I can tell you is minor league baseball is thriving. Because I love baseball. And if I'm in a town... If I'm in Spartanburg, South Carolina, watching the Panthers, I'll go over to Greenville if the Greenville Drive is is playing, and I'll go over to Greenville, have a nice uh, burger, a couple of beers, and sit there and watch the Double A Boston Red Sox team play, which I've done two or three times. But my point is that, or maybe they are Single A, I forget, but but whatever they are, and there's. 8,000 people there, or something like that, and it's fairly full all the time. And my whole point is just market yourselves as to what you are, and the people who love football are going to come out. You'll get a little audience on TV, it's not going to be giant, but that's that was the problem of, of the XFL, in my opinion when they started off hot and they got like a nine rating on the first weekend, they said, Oh my God, we're, we're big. We're going to be the NFL in three years. The fact is there's no real huge appetite for spring football in the United States. There's an appetite, but it's not huge. And you got to go to Hartford. You got to go to Omaha. You got to go to cities that, that basically are kind of triple a cities. You know, and go there and be realistic. That's how you market your team and create your own stars at a local level. And I'll just, I'll just end that by saying, do you realize that I think it was 2011 the United Football League was formed? Okay, that was the last real attempt, I think, at a spring league or whenever. I, I think they played in the this. They spring. played in the fall. Yeah, that was oh, Josh. Okay, McCown, they yeah. played in the fall. My mistake. Sorry, but they played. But you know who the quarterback of the Hartford team was that year? Josh McCown. Josh McCown. And so there are players out there who you are going to get to play on your team because they want to stay they want if scouts are looking for a quarterback, they they want to they want to put some plays on tape. So it's it's doable. People just have to have realistic expectations.
2: Here, let's wrap it up with a topic I'm sure you'll be writing about next week. If Tom Brady wins another Super Bowl and he's already considered to be the most accomplished quarterback of all time, what would his motivation be to
4: come back for another season other than to prove he can? That he loves football and there's nothing else he really wants to do with his life right now. And... I say that to people sometimes, and they find it hard to believe. But but why would he keep coming back? Whatever. Well, okay, he's 41 years old. This will be what it is in 2018. He'd be 41 years old, coming off at least an AFC championship game win and another Super Bowl appearance, and probably coming off an MVP season. Would you retire? I wouldn't. And so, you know, I I think that no matter what happens in this game, Tom Brady is still going to say, I want to come back. And believe me, before the Patriots traded Jimmy Garoppolo, they had to have a little bit more than a nod and a wink from Tom Brady that there was no way he was going to retire at the end of this season. And look, I I did a 72-minute podcast interview with him uh, the Sunday after the Super Bowl. And believe me, he wants to keep playing football. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So whatever he does, I think in 2018 definitely is going to involve playing football.
2: Peter, great information as always. Look forward to seeing you in person next week in Minnesota. Sounds
4: great guys, thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast.
0: We'll be right back after this.
5: Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast.
4: Every episode I take you to the scariest haunted places on earth. Hollywood
5: and Crime by Wonder. We also
4: tested the purse for fingerprints, nothing viable there
5: either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else.
1: Where we
4: ransack America's
1: past and discover that history is only kind to those who write it.
5: Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today.
0: This is NFL No Huddle the podcast. Here are your hosts Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
1: Up next on the podcast we're going to talk to former NFL safety and NFL first and go analyst Nick Ferguson.
2: Nick, we know Pro Bowl week has become a celebration of football so let me kick things off with a fundamental question. What in the world are you doing in Orlando?
6: <laughs> you guys will remember, uh, I'm always jet-setting uh, since our show, First and Go, uh, is over. And don't be surprised if you go, guys go to Minnesota, somehow I pop up again like I did in Houston. But no, uh, the NFL has this uh, coaching program and I get a chance to be a part of it, uh, be able to uh, mentor uh, some up-and-coming youth. Hopefully these guys end up being the future stars of tomorrow. So it's a great program, the NFL Ambassadors program to be a part of. And it's always a fun week down here in Orlando in the Pro Bowl. Last year I came, it was a great time. The guys love being here. I know traditionally the game is normally held in Hawaii, but it is something about Orlando. The crowd was enormous last year, and the city has embraced the NFL Pro Bowl.
1: What's different this year uh, than last year, considering that it was in Orlando last year and and it's now there again. And, and, and what are you doing? Two-part question. And What are you doing? Like, what are you literally doing, you know, once the guys are done practicing and, and, and you have a lot of free time on your hand?
6: Well, for me, uh, being down in his area, I have a sister who's in, in law school, so I get a chance to spend some time with them. But also, uh, just like the Super Bowl, it, 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 there's a lot of guys, uh, former guys, and current guys who are down here in the Orlando area, so you get a chance to meet some of those guys and then fellowship with them, and then talk to uh, talk about football uh, on the bus riding over. My former Jets teammate Aaron Beasley, he was on the plane with I mean on the bus with me. We were talking about a couple things that took place in the playoffs. Of course, the, the Marcus Williams play came up, and a lot of guys on the bus. You know, side and had their remarks about that, but it's a great time and uh, allows me to kind of reconnect with, with some of uh, a lot of guys. But here's the other part uh, I'm going to go back in here in this convention center in a moment here at ESPN Wild World of Sports. And there are uh, young, aspiring athletes and broadcasters. We get a chance to hang out, mingle with them, ask them questions. They get a chance to ask us questions, so it's just kind of a, a fun time, and, and the question you ask, well, you know, what's the difference here in Orlando being the second year? That That is the biggest thing. It's here in Orlando, a lot of fans don't really have to travel to Hawaii. They get a chance to see at ESPN, Wide World of Sports, the, the players up close and personal, and, and you, Cordell, you know, you play the game for a number of years, and fans don't really get a chance to see you take the shoulder pads off and the helmets off and see that you are definitely a person, so now here the fans are not that far away at the practices. They can see the players, the fans uh, can actually ask for autographs, sign autographs, so it's all about fan interaction, and that's one thing that makes this experience uh, so great.
2: Talking Pro Bowl, we're going to talk Super Bowl with our pal Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety, spent a decade in the league. Nick, I've been reading so much about the Importance of youth football connected to the Pro Bowl. Do you get a sense of that energy walking around? A lot of kids very excited to be a part of this week.
6: Well, yeah, you know, you know, with the whole conversation about uh, concussions and people were saying the numbers are down. I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell if you walked around this venue same last year. The numbers have grown astronomically uh, this year because there's a lot of uh, kids getting into flag football, and that's how I broke into. Football, playing flag, flag, flag football myself, and these kids get introduced to the game early. The parents are really uh, involved. And last year, it was kind of crazy how you know everyone was going crazy for flag football. This year, even more than the league understands that the future of the league, you know, depends on young, up-and-coming players being well developed and the nuances of what it takes to play this game being taught. That's why there's a partnership with the. NFL and the heads up of football, uh, something that I'm a part of myself. You go out, uh, you mentor a lot of kids, you help coaches, you help coach the right fundamentals and the techniques. Anytime you watch a game in college football or sometimes the NFL, the biggest thing that shows up is you know tackling. Guys are not using the right fundamentals to tackle, and through these programs and what they're doing here by having the Pro Bowl here in Orlando is exposing these kids a lot to that program, whereas during the regular time when they would normally have it in Hawaii, those uh, athletes are not being exposed to those type of things, so that is one of the biggest things outside of the game, we know that the game is a spectacle itself, but just trying to build that foundation and, and some of these young future athletes.
1: When you talk about the game, uh, they had two players that actually got invited because other guys stepped out or stepped away from it, Phillip Rivers and and Tom Brady, and you actually had uh, Derek Carr and Alex Smith. Give me your take on how they, if you had a chance to see them, what did they look like? Did they look like they belonged there as, as Pro Bowl quarterbacks?
6: Well, you know, Cordell, You know, for me, I never had a chance to participate in the Pro Bowl, even though I had my, uh, like Paul George, I was snubbed for my NFL Pro Bowl uh, appearance. But, you know, yeah, when, when you come down for the Pro Bowl, you, you've, you've earned the right, no matter how you get a chance to get in. And it's, it's a fun time. It's, it's, it's an opportunity to fellowship and you know, really talk with some other guys who play your position, figure out how is it that they were able to do what they have been able to do to stay in the league and pick up a couple of tips here and there. And also, you're coached by you know, coaching staff that uh, are maybe not too familiar with you, so you can pick up on certain you know, nuances. But, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, they look like they, they, they belong. And we just have to wait to see in the game if they can really show up and show us a couple of plays and kind of, uh, you know, do a little razzle-dazzle and excite the crowd sort of to uh, the tune of to what we experienced last year at uh, the Pro Bowl here in Orlando.
2: Nick, I know you got the seminar coming up, so we'll wrap it up with a quick Super Bowl thought before we see you like a ninja popping up next week in Minnesota. If you had <laughs> to pick one area, what do you think the big game might come down to in Minnesota?
6: For me, it's field it's, it's position. And when we talk field position, that's special teams. Uh, we saw where the Jags, when they faced the, the Patriots, uh, they, they had about uh, three or four drives in the fourth quarter where they didn't bring the ball out of the end zone. It was kicked in. And no, they didn't bring it out, so it was inside the 20. It played to uh, the defense of the Patriots. Uh, for uh, the Philadelphia, they're going to have to find some way to muster some yards and flip the field and give Nick Foles an opportunity to make some plays uh, as a passer and, and kind of free of things on the ground for both Garrett Blunt and Jay Ajayi. So, as always, when we've seen Super Bowl before, seldom have we seen the Super Bowl where, you know, the opponent was blown out. Uh, we've seen that years ago when I was a kid when Denver played the San Francisco 49ers, but in most recent years, most of the Super Bowls have been pretty close. So, it's always a field goal here, four points or three points separating the, the loser from the winner. So, it's going to come down to special teams.
2: Nick, as always, we appreciate the information. Enjoy the rest of your week. As you head into that room with aspiring broadcasters, tell them Brian Weber said, be loud, project, and have hot takes, and they'll work forever.
6: I will be sure to do that. You guys take care. Talk to you
0: next week. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this.
5: It's a new year, and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017? From news and politics to true crime, comedy, and history favorites, we've rounded up our favorites, and there's something for everyone. Shows included Dirty John. S Town, My Favorite Murder, Homecoming, Pod Save America. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search Podcasts on TuneIn today.
0: Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
2: As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's welcome in Andy Benoit from Sports Illustrated. Andy, thanks for coming on the show. I know you watch a lot of tape. So as you get ready for the big game coming up in Minnesota, what's the state of the Eagles secondary trying to match up with Tom Brady and the Patriots receivers?
7: Well, I mean, the Eagles secondaries played it the same way all season long. They don't travel their corners. So, you know, you're going to have Jalen Mills on the secondary's left side and Ronald Darby on the right, and then Patrick Robinson, who's had a very, very nice season in the slot. Um, the X factor is Malcolm Jenkins and his versatility, and, and Corey Graham as well. They'll bring Corey Graham off the bench and play dime. And they'll do that when New England goes to three receiver sets and obvious passing situations. And Jenkins and Graham are both longtime converted corners. They've played safety in the NFL career, but they came in as corners. And they give them unique matchup flexibility. And you'll see that matchup flexibility, obviously, in man to man. And I think Jenkins will be the guy that takes Gronkowski. But then in some of their cover three stuff as well, if they want to have matchup elements out of their basic zones, they can get that inside with those guys. So you you know who you have and what you have outside and if you want to go inside that's where it gets a little more complex nothing the Patriots can't handle certainly
1: talk about matchups and, and, and I think when it comes down to to what this front four can do in Philadelphia it's been kind of hard for anyone to match up against them. what do you think New England needs to do in order to stop a Chris Long and also a Fletcher Cox who's really been dynamic over the past few weeks
7: yeah, uh it's, and that's Philly's key to winning this game. They, they If they do win the Super Bowl, their front four will have had a dominant performance. I think it'll be interesting to see with New England because I, what we've seen all season long is a team that's gone to more of a classic offense. Power running, to some deeper drop back passing. Think of Chris Hogan, Gronkowski, certainly Brandon Cook stretching the field, getting a little vertical, but when you do that, you run the risk of of pressure getting home, and especially against teams that have good defensive tackles. You can help on defensive ends a lot easier than defensive tackles out of some of those power concepts. So what we've seen in the playoffs, and especially in the divisional round against Tennessee, was New England went back to their spread stuff that they did in the Julian Edelman years where they're dinking and dunking underneath. And you see, in this case, it's Danny Amendola uh, running crossing routes on linebackers I don't know which of the two we'll see in this game. I, I, I think the reason they did that against Tennessee, Dink and Dunk, was they wanted to go after those linebackers in coverage. Whatever they do, though, will will be a function of how they feel most comfortable protecting against that Eagles front, because that's that's really the only way that they could conceivably you lose this game's that's, talent. That's Philly's clearly best chance of beating them is winning in the front four.
2: Andy Benoit, Sports Illustrators is our guest on the NFL on Tune in. Andy, no perfect teams in pro sports. What does the tape tell you the Patriots' biggest weakness could be?
7: Oh, but it's a good question. Um, their running game is, is average, but they have such a commitment to it, and they're so good with their quick passing game when they need to be that it really is it keeps them on schedule, which is adequate. But they're not a dynamic running team. Um, I, that's the only weakness I can see offensively. Defensively, they don't have a great pass rush. Uh, they don't have natural edge rushers but that pass rush has gotten a lot better over the course of the season and it is is really overachieved down the stretch. So even that one has a caveat. The the Patriots are pretty, uh, they're not flawless, but they don't have any glaring holes coming in.
1: When you look at what Bill Belichick has been able to do, you know, how do you, you know, Get yourself prepared to go up against something like that. You see what he does when it comes to being able to make the adjustments at halftime, and it almost looks as if they just automatically take away your strength from what you were doing in the first half, and they just play keep away from you and end up scoring more touchdown than you. Like, how do you stop that?
7: It's hard um, because they make it easier on themselves by giving you no leakage. So you don't see the Patriots miss very many tackles. Uh, they had some blown assignment downfield in coverage early in the season, some issues against tree snap motion that led to confusion. Back got cleaned up in a hurry, and you don't see them blow coverages. You don't see them on different pages. They're very sound. They're dap sound against the run. and You might gain four yards on them, but you've got to be willing to gain four yards on every run because you're, you're, you're not going to break off very many big ones, and do you have the discipline to do that? Uh, and so I, I, it's, it's hard. It's hard to deal with, and they, they don't do anything – Tricky or overly complex, they just make you play with ultimate discipline, and they themselves will be playing with ultimate discipline. And I think the last thing that really gets overlooked with New England is they can match up and and man-to-man at a variety of spots. They have two good corners that people know about and Gilmore, and for this year Malcolm Butler still he will probably be gone after this game. Uh, but then they have some, some safeties who can match up. Patrick Chung, Devin McCourty. And when you have that, you become immune to a lot of the mismatches and formations that that offense is used to dictate against you.
2: Andy Benoit, Sports Illustrated, is our guest. It's NFL No Huddle on the NFL on TuneIn. Andy, how much credit does Doug Peterson deserve as an emerging play caller? certainly a lot of creativity on display in the NFC title game?
7: Oh, he's, he's been phenomenal. I, I had a tough time not giving him my uh, AP Coach of the Year vote, in fact. he uh, They have a very expansive running game. They give you a lot that you have to prepare for, which most teams cannot do. You, you can, can we practice. Are we a zone running team? Are we more of a gap scheme or a man-to-man blocking team? And we're kind of one of those two things. Philly is both of those things, and at a very high level. They have good linemen, but that also comes from good coaching. And they integrate their passing game into that running game pretty well. They've adapted the offense to fit Nick Foles. He rewarded them by playing like Carson Wentz in the NFC Championship and making plays late into the down, down downfield. So they're equipped to beat you downfield by their designs or underneath by their designs. And I think it's going to be underneath in this game. I don't think you can bank on uh, Nick Foles having another game for the ages like that. I mean, you hope he does if you're the Eagles, but I don't think you can count on it. So they'll scheme it up, and it's going to start with their running game and a lot of the slant passes the stuff that Nick Bowles is comfortable with. And Peterson has done a phenomenal job all season with all of that stuff.
1: And speaking of all of that stuff, uh, from what you saw – When he actually first started playing, let's say in the latter part of the season, uh, when we saw Carson Wentz go down, what's the difference between when he played then and how you've seen him getting better in playing in those two champion in those two playoff games, playing against the Falcons and also the Minnesota Vikings?
7: Well, I think early. I think what Wentz gave the offense early in the season is the ability to extend the play without breaking down the play. So we see a lot of quarterbacks who can make something happen. Oh, look at it, they pulled it out of a hat. Well, they broke down the play in the process, which is fine. It's better than getting sacked. But the quarterbacks that are dominant, that don't have to leave the pocket and don't run around it and don't ad-lib, but can still extend the play just by moving with poise and nuance and strength within the pocket, they force the defense to play defense longer. And defenses aren't designed to play longer because the offensive plays are designed to beat the defense. And the play is going to win every time for the offense if you give that play an extra second or second and a half without letting it break down. And that's what Winch does so well. And that's what Nick Foles, that's what you lose when Nick Foles comes in. And so you have to be more precise with your scheming. But what was so hard to reconcile was that in that NFC Championship, Against Minnesota, Foles did play like wins and did extend plays within the down. I've never seen him do that, not for not for at that high of a level for four quarters. And he was pretty average, and they hit him against Atlanta. And then the very next week against what I believe was the NFL's best defense, he came out and played at, at an MVP type of level, he played just like their MVP quarterback had been playing.
2: Andy, let's wrap it up with a philosophical question because you watch so much tape. We're talking a lot of draft already with the Senior Bowl practices this week. How are scouts going to reconcile what they see on tape from Josh Allen, big arm, big skill set versus the numbers that tell them he's highly inaccurate, not even a 60% completion percentage at Wyoming?
7: You're going to get two divided camps there. I think it will be two strong opinions on on Josh Allen because of how you just described him. And it's easy to fall in love with those traits. It's very easy, especially when you're coaches and you're around guys all the time, and you kind of get used to just seeing a way a certain way that football looks. And then someone comes along and it makes it look even better to you after 30 years in the game. I mean, that can get exciting as a, for a coach, and you think, "Oh, well, I can do anything with that." But that issue with accuracy, and I haven't studied Josh Allen, so we are we're actually like so we're talking theory. I don't think you can teach accuracy in the NFL. You can maybe touch up accuracy and maybe make it a little more consistent, but guys who are inaccurate or have bouts of it and are under 60% for much of their throwing careers, that's not going to change when you get to the NFL. When the the game's faster in the field, you're playing in the middle of the field where everything happens uh, more on schedule, on time. It's a much more efficient game in the NFL. So a guy who's inaccurate in college, he's going to be even more inaccurate in the NFL just by the nature of the game.
2: Andy, thanks for coming back on the show and chatting with us once more on the NFL on TuneIn. You got it.
7: Thanks for having me.
0: You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this.
5: Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows like Haunted Places by Parkas.
4: Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood
5: and Crime by Wonder. We also
4: tested the
1: purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either.
5: And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else.
1: Where we ransack America's past and discover that history is only kind to those who
5: write it search first play podcast and listen early listen often listen today
0: this is nfl no huddle the podcast here are your hosts brian weber and cordell stewart
2: As we close out NFL, no huddle the podcast. Where does Tom Brady rank among the greatest athletes of all time? Let's discuss. You opened the door for cross sports comparisons, and I know Mm. you're a huge basketball fan. You love golf. Let's do Sports Talk Radio 101. Where do you put Brady right now prior to winning another Super Bowl potentially in Minnesota among the greatest athletes of all time? Has he already moved past Michael Jordan?
1: No and this is why Michael Jordan is a brand you know it's, it's like when you, when you think of Mike you know like Mike I like to be like Mike Remember, commercial? everybody wanted to be like Mike matter of fact wanted to be like Mike in football in some cases just basically being dominant and sometime in a game of football especially with Randy Moss and how he used to fly you know they used to, they used to draw a connection between Randy Moss when he was in Minnesota with Michael Jordan because of how great he was in a sense of how he overtook some games. Michael Jordan to me has changed, I think the outlook and the overview of how you basically gauge and and talk about the greatness of a player. You know, when he transcended the game and went from wearing sweatsuits and maybe just a towel around your shoulders to wearing a tie. In a suit. You're talking you know about being cultural like
2: impact. That. What about greatness on the floor well, or on the field?
1: But it's it's all combined. I mean, it, it's this is all inclusive. You can't take it away because that's what he end up bringing to the table. Because think of the years that he played. When he started off early, it was tough sledding. I have to be honest, it was tough sledding until they end up bringing in the Cartwrights, the Grants, uh, uh, you know, the Scotty Pippins, and then all of a sudden he went on this three-game, this three-year, you know, championship run. You know, then all of a sudden he retires. He comes back in the, in the next year. He wears number 45. He comes in at the 50th game of the season. They make a run, go to the championship. They end up losing. But yet the next three years, they end up winning. So of the seven of the seven times he had a chance to be a part of a championship, he's only lost once. And in a short span in which he did it, I don't think we'll ever see that greatness again, ever. Now, what, what we're watching with Tom Brady it's just different. And and, and, and I say it in this regard. He's done it with different receivers. Um, he's done it with different defensive players. Um, he's done it with different offensive linemen. Different coordinators. Different coordinators. Same head coach. And so when you start finding, when you start trying to nitpick at what makes a player great, you know, Tom Brady has gone through different generations of football. Let's just say maybe a couple generations, maybe even three, to be honest, because the game has changed from full backs, right, uh, to, to this to this no huddle, fast-paced offense, which Bill Belichick ended up bringing in the speed of being able to go from one play to the next, you know, the fastest and fastest, faster than anyone, and Chip Kelly came in, and they tried to – and then all of a sudden the spread offense, Along now the RPO stuff. I mean, it's like generations of football has gone by and Tom Brady has stood the test of time overall. That's like Joe Montana. You know, it's like these guys are the godfathers of their prospective sports and how you win championships to the point where in order to be considered great, they set the tone. So for me, when you're the when you're the trendsetter, when you're the pioneer to set the bar at a level to where now it's like, okay. You're not just measured off of winning one championship. You're measured off of how many can you win. Because look at Aaron Rodgers and what we're saying about him. We're saying he's the greatest quarterback in the game today by some. But what are we saying he has to do in order to make it an exclamation point? He has to get another championship. Maybe, right, well, two, maybe two more.
2: Brady might have six after next week. Jordan's got six. I'm and not going to math, six. but that sounds like it's an equivalent number to me.
1: Well, you know, it's... Michael Jordan, to me again, when, all right, so answer this question. We still are talking about Michael Jordan engaging everything to him when it comes down to comparing who's the greatest. We're still talking about it. Mike's been out of the game for how many years? 10 plus easy years? Question is now when you get to Tom Brady and Tom Brady's done. How are we going to put Tom Brady when it comes to sports When it comes to sports, not basketball, not just football, but sports in general, who now becomes the person that we compare them to? Is it Michael Jordan or is it Tom Brady? I think most will still stick with Tom Brady. Some will say even LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. And that's if a we'll ever say that, thing. they had to be just born last week.
2: Well, no, that's that's a millennial perspective. That's generational, and you and I are a bit older than some of our listeners.
1: Yeah, but you know what, man? Michael Jordan started the thing with the tennis shoes, and you know we know Dr. J started off with the Chuck Taylors, the high tops, and all that great stuff. We know why that started with him with the tennis shoes, and then all of a sudden Mike came along and. You know, it was Jordans and then, you know, with Nike, then it's Flight Man and, you know, all that great stuff. And and, and, and Mike has transcended to me because of his greatness, how you perceive just that greatness. Tom Brady, unbelievably great. I mean, being a part of the sport and seeing it, it's appreciated on so many different levels. Mike taught you how to stick your tongue out of your mouth. When you're shooting the basketball. Mike jumped from the free throw line, flying literally sideways parallel with the ground and kicking at the end like yeah, I gotta get the rest of it. I need two more inches. You know, when it comes to going up against Patrick Ewing and been bumping his body up against him and do it with the right hand and hit the left hand and flick it off of his hand and to spin off the backboard and goes in the end inside of the goal. I mean, a lot of stuff that Mike did has brought a different flair, I think, to sports in general. So to me, when it's when, at the end of the day, I mean, Tom Brady's what he's doing is remarkable. But I think I would keep him next to Joe Montana. Next to Joe, smoking I think he's ge- moved Joe- past
2: Joe Montana, Cordell. And again, that's generational. He's got yeah, more. Yeah, generational, but he's you know, done it for a longer time. He's getting yeah. it done at the age of forty, and he's getting better. Doesn't he deserve points for that?
1: Oh, he get a lot of points. But you know, there's only a few guys we have up in that category. You know, it's not like we have. You know, uh, different of, you know, we have Walt Chamberlain or anybody up in that category. We don't have those guys way up there like we would say a Joe Montana and a Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan has taken it so far out there to where it's taking this much for Tom Brady to get it done. Now, you've got to remember, too, as well, how many games those guys were playing in basketball.
2: 82 in the regular season.
1: Come on, that, that's a lot of basketball.
2: Right, but nobody's trying to hit you with a helmet and shoulder pads. So I get it's, that. It's a lot less violent. Like than let's, our add, sport.
1: let's add 10 more games to that. And just in football, even though it's violent. Let's just add 10 more games. Couldn't make it. I don't know who could. But when you talk about 82 games, you're playing sometimes two, maybe three games in a week, and that's going from Monday to Sunday. Think about all that wearing, that's wearing tear. I mean, look at LeBron. He can't even play the entire season like Mike did. Mike will play the entire season from week one to the very last championship game. LeBron has to sit down a little bit and get a rest and take it easy in order to get it done. Mike, I mean, how many rounds of playoffs in the, in the playoffs and how many games within the, when, within each one of those playoff games, playoff games they have to play along with the 82?
2: Play another two months, right?
1: So you're looking at another what? Maybe
2: a total of hundred games. Yeah, you're playing April. You're playing May. You're playing the first couple weeks of June.
1: So that that's a that's a long time to be playing. You know, football. We got what three four months. Now you got the offseason stuff, but when you talk about actually on the on the flo- on the field, you know, and when, when does basketball start? We're looking at when?
2: Right around Halloween.
1: So you look around Halloween, October. You got October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June. Huh. that stuff that they, they I mean I, well, they're not dealing
2: with Vaughn Miller or Khalil Mack they're not yeah, getting hit but, upside but, the but head it's a totally still, different
1: sport but yeah I mean that, that's, still, that's still a lot man that, that's, that wear and tear on your body is, is to me I think it, it, it balances itself out even though it's not the, the direct hits and Tom Brady's not getting hit like that let's just be real Michael Jordan was getting hit a lot. You Jaguars would think he could have played him. football.
2: Jacksonville put a little bit of a hurting on him what last about week. The,
1: what about the What about the Detroit the Detroit Pistons? What about the Celtics? You can't what about the Nets?
2: to say what the Broncos you, did you, to Tom you, Brady are you, are a couple years ago me? when the AFC title came Do
1: you not remember when having to go to the, play the Knicks Bro, and go to Detroit to play against you. the Detroit Pistons? I was the Warrior sideline guy
2: for nine years. I lived the NBA, but you can't so compare when watching, basketball to football. So you're telling football. me without a
1: uniform and Michael Jordan, the way he played the game, was it the most physical way to play basketball than any other basketball player in the history
2: of the game? I'm conceding that, but you can't compare hoops to football. I, I, I,
1: I have to because I'm going off the physicality of how Mike played the game. And Mike never sat it down. Okay, how about Mike this? Mike was there every week.
2: How about this? Or every game. We'll narrow our focus. Is Brady the greatest football player of all time?
1: You got Jerry Rice, man. You got a lot of stuff going on. Quarterback, I'll give him that. He's the GOAT. Because of what he's done as a QB with less in comparison to a Joe Montana. But Joe Montana, when he showed up on the dance floor, you had that national anthem played, and you saw all those beautiful Air Force, those planes. <laughs> You get it. He's heard a sound effect. Listen again. It just passes by, right? It just passes by. And so all of a sudden you come out and all it's time to play. Joe Montana, he did not lose on game day when it came to a Super Bowl. So
2: he's not always once. got that tiebreaker 4-0. Can't be touched.
1: Can't be touched ever. So, so it's going to take the sixth one. It's going to take LeBron, however many more he can get, regardless of how many times he's actually went to the dance in order to get it done. These guys have not lost when they stepped on the big stage. And again, Michael Jordan I mean who was more physical when it came down to going in the paint? Whether it was going against Charles Oakley, whether it was going against Patrick Ewing. I didn't have to be on the side. I was right there. I was just I was just like, "You, Brian, I just couldn't see all the other stuff." But inside that little box called television, I watched that stuff. And trust me, without a uniform, and you're doing that every game because they're trying to knock your head off, literally. In those files that they were calling way back when, come on, dude, guys, it would t- the way the game is now today, they'll be out, they'll be ejected in the first two minutes of the game. And so all I'm saying is, is when you start doing a comparison thing with what Mike did, Mike is Mike is shrine, man. That that is enshrinement. That that greatness is 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 a plaque. It's a, it's it's a bus. It, it, it's 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 copper, it's gold, it's platinum. Transcend, it could never right? be touched. Bigger than the sport. Oh, pop culture dominance. Tremendous, tremendous. It, it, it's it's everything. It's like Tom Brady for example, because foot, you know he's 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 done a lot of things, and I think when he's done, he'll probably be even more famous uh, because he's so locked in and focused on his on the task at hand, and because these guys are most more notice more, noticeable in basketball because they don't wear helmets. You know, you 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 look at Mike with the Haynes commercial. That stuff, man. That everybody wants that. You know, and, and Mike was to me. You know, while Tom Brady, I'm not going to take away from him because who do you put in the same category? Wayne Gretzky, you put in Tom Brady, you put in Babe Ruth, right? Muhammad you put in Ali, Michael Jordan. You put all them. You got to man- put Ali
2: in, obviously. You put the Ali. Greatest of all
1: time. That 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 group of 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 of, of men. That, that that did that in their time and, and, and how long they did it and the time in which the game was a certain way and how they had to do it, you know, now the game has gotten soft. Let's just call it what it is in comparison to how it used to be. The game is soft now football. It's soft. You know, you can't hit the quarterback a certain way. You can't block a certain way down the field. You know, if you hit the guy the wrong way, it's in comparison to. So now Tom Brady can, as Scott Zolak mentioned, he can play for another two years because the game, the game lends itself to a player at 40 years old to be able to go out and get it done. But if the game was physical now like it was when he first started, because see, through the time in which Michael played, Michael continuously took a beating every single night. He would play with the flu and have his best game. Against the Phoenix Suns or whoever it was he played against.
2: Well, remember, he took a couple of years
1: off to play minor league baseball, too. Well, then he took some time off and came back and won three straight.
2: I'm with you. <laughs> who well, it? Those who want to poke holes in the legend of Jordan, and I don't. I'm a Jordan guy. I'm just trying Roll. to be balanced for the show. They say that when he played minor league baseball, it allowed him to come back refreshed for round two in the NBA. Answer
1: this question for me. Take Mike, put Mike in this era. There's no talking. There is no conversation. Mike, the only player... In basketball, because I know it's a football show, and we're doing comparisons as far as greatness is concerned across the sport, sports in general. LeBron James could probably go back and play against him, but he would be whining a little bit more than he does now. If Mike played now, (laughs) in a time in which LeBron's been playing, it would be, it would be, it would be, it would be, it would be a shame. He, He would have to get arrested every night. Because he will be violating those players with three-pointers, slam dunking, defense. And how many defensive player of the years did he get in comparison to, and also the MVP mm-hmm. of the NBA, NBA, in comparison to how many MVPs did Tom Brady get when playing in the National Football League? Jordan's got more. And how many LeBron got defensive player as well as MVP in the NBA? Jordan's got more, probably double. And so I think when you really start putting this in perspective, you got to look at the time in which he played, how the game was then. Look at the game today and how it's being played and not taking anything away from LeBron nor Tom. But that stuff Mike did, it can never be duplicated. Never. I mean, it can can only be, you know, tried to be copied in some way. Ask, Ask Kobe. You know, you know, you got Phil Jackson, and we start hearing the stuff. He's just like Mike, but there's no Mikes, man. There's only one. You know, before him there was none. After him, there will be many, and there is. That's what Jay Z said in his music, mm. by the way. Go Very ahead, nice. Brian, go ahead. Do what you think. I I'm like.
2: Sorry. It.